Hey everyone, welcome to Limitless Radio Cast, episode 62. Hanging out with Robert Drysdale today. As you all know, we have an amazing show. We sit back and we talk about some rises and falls of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, where it is today, how it's looked at today, how things might be more separated than it was in the past. We talk about how old school Jiu Jitsu versus new school Jiu Jitsu. We even get into some of Robert's background from years ago. So, everyone, just sit back, relax, enjoy the show remember to go out there and support us the best that you can we appreciate all of you thank you guys so much and enjoy this show is also being brought to you by thomas webb of d hoff realtors buy with star county strongest realtor are you in the market to buy a house it's that time of year the end of the school year you're looking to move you're looking to buy well check out our friend thomas webb you can reach him at 281-889-0140 as well as on facebook instagram He's out there and available. Stark County's strongest realtor, Thomas Webb, DeHoff Realtors. Be sure to check them out. This show is also being brought to you by Gateway Dental Care, Isaac Kuto DDS out of Worcester, Ohio. Go out there and check them out, especially if you're located locally or in Worcester, Ohio, and you're listening right now. I want you guys to stop. Take note of this place, Gateway Dental Care. They have an amazing dentistry business going on here check it out anxiety free dentistry who wants to go to the dentist no one wants to go to the dentist but we have to go to the dentist we got to get our teeth clean we got to get things taken care of a lot of us have kids we need to do that kind of stuff they do everything here from oral checkups to general checkups to cleanings oral cancer screenings help you with teeth grinding gum disease therapy ceramic crowns full mouth reconstruction mini dental implants composite fillings extractions they have it all they take care of you make you feel great and want you to come back again gateway dental care located in worcester ohio check them out what's up everybody uh, i do this every time don't i chad yep what's up everybody welcome into the show hope everyone's doing well today chad and i are hanging out with the legendary robert Drysdale. He's a fourth degree black belt and the lead instructor and owner of Zenith Jiu-Jitsu in Las Vegas, Nevada. Robert is also still the only American competitor to have won a world championship in the IBJJF and ADCC. He also competed as a fighter at the highest level in MMA, as well as being a coach for MMA fighters, as well as others on the mat, to be quite frank. Despite this amazing career on the mats and in the cage, he's also a best-selling author, uh, author who holds a degree in history and also maybe the most important thing, he's a father of two amazing daughters. So Robert, thanks so much for hanging out with yeah, us. We appreciate you. it very much, man. It's an honor for us. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the kind words. And yeah, I appreciate that, the opportunity. Definitely. Um, I'm going to start asking you one thing. You have a dog and I want to know what breed of dog that is. Uh, I, well, the one you might have seen is a, is a cane Corso. He ran away last 4th of July. Yeah. So I got a bulldog now. She's yeah. farting in the corner over there. Like, like, uh, <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry. He ran away. Yeah, man. Like he, we never left him alone. I mean, he, we, the thing is that he hated fireworks like most dogs do. Yeah, for sure. And I had a buddy of mine staying over and I left. I don't remember what I was doing that night. And I thought he was going to stay home. He never said he was going to leave. So he took off as well. He didn't say anything. And then the dog couldn't stay alone with the fireworks. It jumped over the wall. Oh Never my. Beautiful dog. So like someone, he's very friendly too. So someone took him. 
Oh man, yeah. Um, he was brindle, like like a brindle when they brindle like a fondish brindle color. Yeah. Story about that dog. That dog was given to me by my ex girlfriend, who was given that dog was given to her by her ex husband, who was like a really rich guy. <laughs> that dog was a thirty five thousand dollar dog. Wow! Holy. Wow! So, so like when when I like, when they, when she gave it, they're like, I'll take it. Yeah, for and sure. He was he was worth that much, man. He was an angel. Yeah. yeah, they're great dogs. So I have one. I have a I have a purebred King Corso, oh, and dude. and so that's why she's actually laying right here on the floor. Her name's Lucy. She's there, <laughs> the kids were like, "Do you want? Does Lucy want to stay with you?" And she they're super loyal. Like she doesn't leave my side. Like I'm the alpha, but she knows. Like she's with me all the time, everywhere I go. Like she's always like, "Hey, Dad!" Like she's right there. But I wanted to ask about the dog. I'm so sorry, man, that that that, that has happened because. I mean, dogs are awesome. Let's be, let's be honest. You know, they're, they're good things. So, so, uh, how's training going in, in jujitsu and everything for me? Not very good. Uh, <laughs> uh the, the, the bill has come. <laughs> so I, uh, I, okay. I call the jujitsu life. Like it's like a credit card, you know, you go spending and then the bill comes later with the interest. I'm like, shit, gotta pay them. <laughs> got, uh, I'm looking at surgery at both my wrists. I have arthritis on both my wrists. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, I have arthritis on both my knees. I can't do a push up. I can't do a squat. I need help. Really? Oh man. man. Are are they going to go in and do like nerve reconstruction in there? Like I think that's where they're going to just kind of like it's like a, an incision here. Yeah. And clean it up a little bit. Okay. That's what I'm looking at now. Uh, both my knees, same thing. I have no meniscus left. Uh, I have a, two herniated discs. One on my lower back. One on my neck. I got arthritis on my neck as well. So it's, uh, yeah, jujitsu is very healthy, guys. Stick You're to very it. Cheap <laughs> <laughs> for your body. <laughs> yeah, but you also are an old school jujitsu guy. Like you've been in it from the beginning. We look at guys now and we've talked about it on the show and Chad and I will even talk about it. For instance, I asked Chad today, uh, did you watch some of the one <clears throat> matches with the Bertolo brothers? And I'm like, they're freaks. Then they're young and they're like, and it's different for them versus when you started. Like it was wasn't gym training harder then than it yeah. is now? I'm not saying that it's not hard now, but what no. I'm saying is like, it was more, f- maybe more physical. No, I, I think it, I think guys today probably train like the high level one. Would be sure, like right. I think the average time they spend in the gym is higher than what I did. You know, for example, okay. um, I think that today what's, what's changed, like we're talking about like they're the 0.1%, right? Like not even the 1%. It's like the elite, the elite and they, they have the youth on their side and they have, uh, the infrastructure is much better now than it used to be. We didn't know what we were doing a lot of times. We were just going by. It was hard. You know, there was no methodology. There was no, like, care. Like, there was less instruction. You know, it was more like learning on your own. A lot of it was just, like, being self-taught. Um, I the thing, and this is a personality thing, I think I aged faster than a lot of people because I did not know, to my detriment, I never learned how to train without it being a war like every match hat was the final of the world championships like every single round i trained like it was the final of the world and i absolutely had to win and looking back and i'm like i think that's what accelerated all this the damage to my body because i'm i'm 40 i'm not old i mean like i'm not you know i'm a i'm an old adult but i'm not like you know senile or anything but i feel like my body's 60 that's what i feel like but i think it was like that i never learned how to roll light and you know i think that you should, you don't have to, there's a way to train technically 
and improve it on yourself without making everything a, a war, you know, and I, that's what I did. Which I think a lot of, and Chad, you've, you've talked about this before, even when you started jujitsu and it, that was kind of the mentality, right? Well, I think he, like he said, is nobody knew really what you were doing, what we were doing. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And obviously, <laughs> you know, Robert was at a way higher, higher, higher level than I did, but like, you didn't know, like what you don't know. We've talked about that before. And sure. you hear MMA guys that don't spar hard rounds anymore because of all the you know, damage it can do to you and, and all that. You just, I think we've, as much as jujitsu has evolved as an art, it's evolved on how we take care of each other and our bodies too. Right. Like my first class, I got heel hooked. Nobody told me, Hey, Hey, you might want to tap if it hurts. Right. Yeah. That's the first thing I do to a brand new white belt. If they roll like, Hey man, if anything hurts, tap them, tap the mat, yell, say something. Right. So I think that has come a long way as well. I agree. I agree. I think that methodology uh, in terms of care, uh, even like the camaraderie, I think in some ways there's been some, in, not in a, in a, in a, in a, in a sense where people are more mindful of injuries, I think mm -hmm. like that we watch out for our training partners. Like then it was yeah. like, it was friendly, even in a way, like it was even a tighter brotherhood, but like on the mats, like we were trying to kill each other the whole time. Like, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if someone walked in and saw me and Lucas Lecce training in nineteen, in two thousand and five, and they walked in the room and they saw us training, they would think that we were enemies and we hated each other. Right. But the second it ended, it was all cool, you know. Like, you know, it's that it's it's not it's, it was never, but it wasn't always healthy. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. and and two, for people that don't know, haven't followed your career, maybe especially the early days. At any given time, how many world champions were in the room with you? I mean, it was. 10 plus, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I think 2006, we had our best year. We went to the world championships, the IBJF Worlds. We had like 31, 32 competitors. Mm -hmm. First place with like 32 competitors. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's just like the room was like everyone medal. Like we, if, yeah. we had, if, we, if we took 20 people to the tournament, did maybe not 20 gold, but like everyone, we expected everyone to place. They were on the, yeah, yeah they were on the podium. Yeah. And to put that in perspective, 32 competitors taking first place, most teams need what a hundred or more probably to take that kind of, to make those kind of points. Yeah. It was, it was a good moment. In 2007, we went to ADCC. We had five athletes in ADCC from Braza. We uh, brought back seven trophies with five people. Yeah. Wow. So this day might be like the best team performance in the history of ADCC. You know, it's something so. we bragged about. To us, it was just like another day in the office, you know, but like not because it's my team, but I think it's important to remember these things, man, because it's important to record history accurately, man. Like I, I see the importance of this more than ever mm -hmm. because I see what happens when you start recording things inaccurately. Sure. That, yeah. That's where a lot of this, my, my, my impetus comes in like wh wh why aren't we recording things as they are versus like you know keep hammering a lie down someone's throat and like that's not good like it's gonna it's gonna bite you in the ass in the future it's gonna catch up to you eventually it, it's, eventually, it, it always, always does always does and that's the kind of like you like this, this is why like to me like it's important you know, regardless of me being on the team browser or not it's important to remember these things you know because right. it was very significant is that what, uh, not in general, but did it drive the passion to be in history, to, to, to get a degree in history? No, actually, my, interesting. When I was a kid, my, I wanted to be an academic. Like that was, I was one of the few children. I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up with a professor? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like, 
What? <laughs> what did he say? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wanted. I like uh, archaeology. That was my. That was oh, nice. My, okay. Loved archaeology. I just loved pyramids and ancient civilizations, and I was like super into encyclopedias and books on archaeology when I was a kid. Not like you know, not normal, nothing unusual, but. Uh, I actually, my, my passion for history precedes my, my passion for jujitsu by a lot, you know, jujitsu was like something I found when I was 16 and I was just like addicted. It was, I was hooked. Like, like I can't stop. I, I mean, we, on, just to give an idea, the gym we trained at only offered jujitsu uh, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So me and my friends on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, we'd roll on carpet. We go to the house and just roll on his carpet. And Brazilian carpet is not as thick as American carpet. It's very, <laughs> and then we're just rolling on a carpet. We got mat, uh, 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 carpet bruises. It burns all over the place. We just didn't give a shit. It was just like man, we were at like a triangle. Like we get mind blown. Triangle, almost plot. Oh my god, this is so cool. <laughs> it was. It was like an addiction. Yeah, we couldn't stop. That's awesome. That's it. And like, I mean. Not a lot of people have that opportunity or pursue it. They don't push themselves enough to do that at that time. You know what I mean? Like some guys that were in jujitsu, like they didn't take those steps to do it. And it's like to read your career, to see your career, like you did that always. You've always been that passionate, like that involved kind of all in, right? You know, it has, it has its like, it's uh, ups and downs. Like there's a part of me that wonders what life would have been like without jujitsu. I was going to ask you if you ever thought that. Oh, all the time all the time not because i have any regrets but because you're just curious man like oh, i for sure immersed into jujitsu i don't know who i am it's, it's my identity like what's who is robert without jujitsu I, right. I have no idea you know so i think these things but you know it, i was very all in when i when i started i didn't i didn't, had no expectations to be a competitor because i was i was a mediocre athlete a lot of people think oh he's tall you know like you must be a good athlete like, no i'm telling you I was I was below average when I was in school. Like I was not a good athlete at anything, but I knew I could be a good teacher. I was like, ah, my mom's a teacher, my dad's a teacher. I know I can explain, I can think things. Like I can be a good coach. But then I started into the competition scene. It was it was there was no looking back. You know, it was I in my head I had made up my mind I was going to be homeless. Man, jujitsu was not popular. Like it was not. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was like making peace with the fact that I was going to live with my parents forever, or like my my backup plan. I had two backup plans. I had the first one was to teach English in Brazil. I can be an English teacher in Brazil, which is not a horrible job. Or I can just have an American passport. I was born here, so I can just come to the U.S. and get the shittiest of jobs, working at McDonald's or at Walmart or anything, or construction. I'd still make more than I would make. Those are my two plans. But like, I was all in jujitsu. I'm, I'm glad you were <laughs> because it's, we wouldn't have the history or the people that stuck with it. Like you said, um, it was harder. I think it was harder to stick with it when you started, when Chad started versus where someone like myself, like I have a ton of information, a plethora of information at my fingertips. Uh, people like you that have done history on it and given me knowledge or given me the ability to read about knowledge that didn't exist before. You know what I mean? Not only that, like there was, there was, there was no reward. I mean, in terms of financial terms. Yeah. Well, you weren't not making a career. Like you said, yeah, you weren't like, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest no, of my life. Look, we knew jujitsu was special. We knew volleyball was special now MMA, but we knew that we had something. Everyone knew we had something special that eventually we would take over. But the, the ambition of taking over was never financial. It was always like, oh my God, like 
this is going to blow up eventually. Yeah. We all knew that, but no one was training thinking about money. In a way, it was better because it only drew the people who really loved the art for what it was. Yeah. Whereas now it draws a lot of people that, in my opinion, don't they? They're really involved in jujitsu scene more because they like that high school ambience. Like they more because they like mm -hmm. the, yeah. the gossipy who's with who. Yeah. And it's more like the drama thing about the popularity and trendy yeah. aspect of jujitsu than it is about the art itself. Because now you don't know who loves jujitsu. You have no idea. Sure, right. Just, it's very clicky like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when there was, no, there was nothing to gain from it right like you you only drew the people who absolutely loved jiu-jitsu for what it was which i'm a purist so i that was a big thing for me like i never thought you know i took martial arts obviously a lot of us did and, and i did some kung fu and stuff in taekwondo when i was younger and and off and on some other stuff throughout my life i never once thought oh i'm gonna do this like as a career or anything it was like I'm just doing it because I love it. And then I fell in love with the art, obviously the martial arts in general. Jiu-Jitsu was something I always wanted to try. And, and my wife gave me the blessing. She was like, go ahead, fine. <laughs> my kids are like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is what I think is funny when like, men, women say that men are in charge of the world. I'm like, what are you on? Like no, every no. household I go to, the wife's in charge. I've never seen a household with a man in charge. I'm looking for a household so I can learn some lessons because I'm always like, okay, can I? May I? Where are we going? What are we yes. doing? Yes. Yeah. Always <laughs> permission. Yes. Always. I just, that's just, yeah. It's been the way it's been. Happy life. That's what they say. Right. right? Right. Not that there's anyone, everyone out there, not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Like, see, I, uh, anyway, I, I can talk about this all day. But uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Very uh, good. Yeah, man. Look, this is um, you've just gone a long way, man. It's fun. It's fun to 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 watch the changes because a lot of people when they see jujitsu today, what they see is like, oh, this is how it's always been. This is what jujitsu is. What they fail to see are all the transitions that come behind it, not just in technical terms, because everyone has this, like, the technique. The yeah, technique. sure, yep. There's a cultural aspect to it. There's a value aspect to it. There is a, a worldview aspect of all this that is people don't realize how much that has changed. And I, I was, I, when I started training, I got the, 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 the a lot of these old-timers, they call it the golden age of jiu-jitsu, like before. <laughs> everyone believes their age is the golden age, right? Sure, right. sure, yeah. yeah. But like they were describing it. It's like we trained jiu-jitsu because we wanted to go to the beach. And when we surfed, we wanted all the ways for our That's why they trained jiu-jitsu. That's okay. Surf. And if someone like messed with our way, we're going to fuck you up because we knew how to fight. And then they, they it, it was it was a culture. I call it the Spartan, the Gracie Spartan culture. It's like we're better than you and we can prove it in a fight. And if you, we'll fight you anywhere, anytime. And that's how they handle things. Like it was very like, you know, it was very um, – aggressive in, in a way that today you, you go to prison um and there, it, that was like in, in some ways it was there was an attraction about when you're young you're 16 that's man, what i can walk into a club in a room and oh. everyone's gonna be scared of me yeah 100 percent. ever i'm like this is incredible what are these guys doing i want to learn it so that, that was a big part of the motivation that's all gone like there's none of that left at jiu-jitsu none of it all yeah. talk about it they laugh you know but like we train jujitsu to beat people up. Like that's why we train. I mean, they say they say defending themselves, right? Because jujitsu guys, it's it's a youth, <laughs> right? Right. Like, yeah. No one's gonna say no. I train for to beat up. You know, for self defense. It's like you guys are the guys picking fights. 
get the heat. <laughs> bullies, you're never the anti-bully crowd. You no. Bullies. Sure. And, and jiu-jitsu guys, the old school, like, uh, they don't like to admit it, but it's, it's true. It's like, true. It's, it, we came from, we were the bullies. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. The bullies <laughs> that could defend themselves. <laughs> but you weren't going around just picking on nobodies either. You were, you, you know what I mean? Like it was a, and I tell people this cause they're like, man, you have a, like an aggressive attitude sometimes and stuff. And I'm like, I'm an older school guy. Like I was, I was hard headed. I grew up rough. I was ready to fight all the time. Like I, I made some of that, you know, so which jujitsu it's like now I'm older. So I'm just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> but if you take 16 year old, 20 year old Terry, yeah, so I had a lot of ego, man. I had a lot of frustration in life and a lot of anger. You know what I miss about that worldview, that, about that way of thinking, that martial Spartan way, is when we saw that video a few weeks ago of a guy like teasing Mike Tyson in the airplane. Yeah, exactly. And lost his shit, right? I think that a judge, when he sees that, he should give Mike Tyson a Medal of Honor and send that guy to like community work or something. That's how yeah. I Yeah, yeah. Like I was... I, people were arguing, like, oh, did Mike Tyson do the right thing? I'm like, what, what What? planet are you on? You think you can talk to an animal of the caliber of Mike Tyson like that for yeah. minutes and he's not going to beat the shit out of yeah. it. Like, I, I applauded Mike Tyson. In fact, I'm surprised it took him so long to lose a shit. Yeah. He, for, I don't say for being who he is, he's obviously grown up. He's older. He's yeah. gone through a ton of stuff. That, watching that video, I'm thinking, man, uh, minutes ago, I had a, that have killed this guy. Like, oh, I you know what I mean? Through. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and held his yeah. tone the whole time. Yeah. And the kid didn't look that bad after he could, that could have been really bad. Right. He had some <laughs> scratches and a little few marks, but man, the world we're living in is a world that tolerates that guy. Yeah. 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 It's okay. Not be tolerated because it, it is not okay to talk to someone. I can't, I can't, if I saw a gorilla, you know what I do? If I, I would walk, I'm like, I don't want to pick a fight. Like, if I saw someone that could beat me in a fight, you know what I do? Walk away. I don't want to pick, I can't. Yeah. But the, 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 the audacity that people have yeah. that they could pick a fight with you precisely because you're stronger than them. Yeah. They know that they'll be protected because there's a social contract that protects them. They can say anything they want to your face and you can't do anything in return. I'm like, I think it should be able, if someone talks to you like that, you should be able to punch them back. Yeah. Like, that's, to me, that's like, you ask for it. Yeah. It's not, well, we've gone too far the other way. Like everything, no, 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 none of that. I'm like, well, it is violence if you're going to repeatedly insult me and I can't do anything about it. That's yeah. verbal violence and they're not being held accountable. Well, so you go, dude, yeah. go ahead, Chad. I was, that dude knew what he was doing. It was Mike Tyson. He knows Mike probably could have a short fuse at some point and he knew what he was doing, you he know? A video and he got it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He got it. At the end of the day, that's when I, yeah. when I sat and, you know, did my own diagnostics and kind of went through my own brain of thinking of this, I go, this kid just wanted his, whatever fame it was going to be. Yeah. He didn't care if he got hurt, whatever. And maybe some stuff will come down the road of that because we live he in a culture it. that we do now. You, you know, know why he loved it? Because for the rest of his life, when he walks into a bar or a party, everyone that's the guy that got punched in the face by Mike Tyson. He's someone now. He was a he's, no one before. Yep. Yep. He's yeah. someone. He's the guy who got punched by right. Mike Tyson. And it's hard as an older person and yourself, Robert, you're 40, Chad's 47. Uh, I just turned 45 two weeks ago. It's hard now in the society and to have kids. Chad has two boys. You have two girls. I have uh, two boys and a girl. It's hard with having kids like that because then you try to, you're trying to talk to them, but you want to 
tell them the right way and not, you know what I mean? So it's like, wow, like we have, um, we've come a long way and I don't know that it's always the right way that we've came. (laughs) My daughters, I tell my daughter in school, they're taught if a kid hits you, you can't hit them back. Right. You go to the teacher. Yeah. Okay. I I tell my daughters, no, someone hits you, you hit them back immediately. Yep. Second they touch you, you fire back. And then my my daughters are confused. I'm like, listen to daddy. If something happens, you call daddy and I'll go for yeah, it's self-defense is a universal human right. It is yep, a absolutely. In fact, it is acknowledged by the Geneva Conventions. You guys know that someone hits yeah. you, it is I, it is a human right. Like you can defend yourself if someone attacks you. Yeah, it's just, in schools we've gotten so like, oh no, violence. It's like, oh, it's it's worse. It's not better. It's not a better system. Right, right. Yeah, my kids. We live in a, a really good school district. Let's say, my wife and I were just talking last night. She's like, wow, it seems like there's been a lot of fights over the last several weeks. I'm like, well, they're out, they're done with school next Wednesday. I was like, they're done. I said, but don't ever put it past you that we, that this stuff is going away. I was like, it's probably worse now than it was when we were in school. Maybe it, it depends on where you yeah, were in school, different, but, yeah. but it's different now, you yeah. know, and the kids asked me and I'm open and honest with them. I'm very straightforward with my kids. Uh, the same way that you're explaining it, Robert, like I've told my kids, look, if you feel to the point to where you have to defend yourself, if you're hit or touched or anything, then do it. And I will be the person they will have to deal with like at the school. And we, I will stand up in front of you and take the blunt. You will not be, I will not allow this to fall on your shoulders. Yeah. That just, my shoulders. Yeah. That just happened with us. Like, so Mm -hmm. I have two boys that are seniors in high school graduating this year. And then my girlfriend has a six-year-old daughter that's in kindergarten. So I'm back on the other end of things now going through it with a girl. Right. So a lot different than boys, but, um, some little boy punched her at school, like punched her in the, and I was like, what'd you do? She's like, I punched him back. Perfect. That yeah. kid won't mess with you anymore. Right. Yeah. There's no accountability. There's no yeah. accountability. No, and, and no we, you know, accountable for anything anymore. That's nothing. And we, you get these guys that are going to keep poking the bear all the time. They don't stop. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we, you know, my girl, her mom and me told her, like, she's like, what if the teacher gets mad at me? And like you said, Robert, that we'll deal with that. Yeah, we yeah. will feel we will feel that. But and usually it only takes one time. They're not going to mess with you again. They, uh bullies typically or people that like to pick fights. They, they don't only go after the weakest in the in the, in the they're not going to pick. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah. Yep. They, they, they thrive on weakness. Right. So the second you hit them back, they're like, you know what? I'm going to pick on that other kid over there who doesn't fight back. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did social media change that um, outlook? Not, not in life, because I know it did. In, in general talk, I know it did. <laughs> yeah. in, in, let's say in the martial arts world, in jujitsu, did that start to sway that, for instance? You know, Robert, I know you did, obviously, the, the um, opening close guard, everybody out here, that uh, or opening close guard. If you don't have the book and you're not watching this on YouTube, I recommend going and getting it. If you like history and you want to dive into some lineage and um, some roots, and what I like to say is seeds that were planted and grew into trees <laughs> out of Brazil for, for, um, jujitsu. It's a really good book. And yes, for sure. Uh, I was talking to Robert before we started the show. I, I'm, I kind of like history obviously. And uh, weeks ago I kind of went down a rabbit hole until so I just sidetracked my conversation here. So Chad is a black belt under James Klingerman, who is a black belt under help me out, Chad, with the name. Cause well, I messed he got, it up he- last time. He got his black belt from Mario Roberto, but now he is under Anibal Braga. Okay. And Anibal's under Oswata Fada, right? I believe so. Okay. okay. And, and, and then Fada is under Maeda? So this is <laughs> the, the history. So is- this is the rabbit hole I went down. This is literally weeks ago. Before 
we before we were even going to talk and I was already going down this rabbit hole and I was like, awesome. I can, Robert might be able to shed some light on this because I can't really find a lot on the internet. <laughs> Here's a problem with, and this is why I tell people, and the internet has been great in some ways that allows you to communicate with high school friends and grandma. Sure. Right. But at the same time, like it, people kind of confuse what's online with credible knowledge and anything can go online. Like, yeah, and if, it's not just a Wikipedia that's not reliable. YouTube is not reliable. Most websites and blogs are not reliable. It's like, man, where is reliable information? And there's not a lot out there. And that's what got me on this whole jujitsu history path. Like I couldn't find anything that was an oral tradition. And in history, everyone knows that oral tradition is problematic. Because people lie, they distort, and they forget, and they change allegiances as, as they get older. So I'm your friend today. I speak highly of you. 20 years later, I speak ill of you of the exact, over the exact same event because our relationship changed. You understand? Yeah, yeah. So it's not something reliable. I mean, you should take it into account, but it's not that reliable, right? So with the father lineage, I was here. I, when I started, part of the reasons with motivation was to like give Osvaldo father credit for being a non-Gracie lineage. Right. And then we start doing some digging. We find that because Osvaldo's father learned from Luis Franza. Luis Franza claimed to have learned under Maeda, which is possible. Oh, it, okay. So that's where, okay. So it is possible. The thing is, there's no evidence for it. And like, and, and, and you can't write history based on what might have been. History is not ifs, it's, it has to be concrete. Yeah, it's facts. Right. Yeah. So the way I describe this, if you were building a house, you couldn't have like a, a paper brick because yeah. it might hold that house. Right. Like and once it gets like eventually it's gonna cut. You have to have every brick has got to be solid, right? And um, there, there was nothing. There's nothing directly linking Luis Franza to Maeda other than Luis Franza was in the navy, and he there's a, a there's some evidence that he was stationed in the north of Brazil where Maeda was, but that's not evidence that he trained with him, right? And right. the other thing too is like people lied a lot in those days, and that's not Luis Franza, that's not Carlos Grace, that's everyone. It was normal to market yourself by exaggerating your record. And claiming your professor was someone preferably famous who the crowd would recognize because no one wanted to be under no one. Everyone wanted to be under Maeda because he was famous. But there's no evidence linking Maeda to Carlos either. There's nothing. I mean, like, oh, Carlos Grace under Maeda, where? Show. And then you get mad, people get angry. But it gets, it's, there's no evidence. There really isn't. I'm not trying to, like, be, there's, I mean, I would love sure. to see something other than Carlos Grace's own testimony, which is very suspicious because he has the most to gain from that claim, right? So, the evidence we have of Luis Franza is actually him learning under the Gracie Academy. Everything we find points to Luis Franza being a student for at least for a moment within the Gracie Academy. I wrote an article about this. It's in the book. Um, so like, you know, the front, the father lineage is unique in many ways because they opened the doors to a populace in Rio de Janeiro that could not afford jiu-jitsu where previously the Gracie family was teaching the wealthier classes and that's how they made their money. Fada was the first one to open it for children, to open it up for, maybe not children, I think the Grace might have done before, but he had like a large kids project where kids didn't pay uh, for the, the, the handicapped and in a poor neighborhood. So he was very unique in, in, in those ways, and he was certainly very important, but everything we know points to Fada lineage being a Gracie lineage, yeah, Helio Gracie specifically. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And they called they call him Cobbler. Did they call him because of that? Did they, or called... The they call Fada that like a cobbler because he was in the poor area. Yeah, I, yeah he was. Uh, he, 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 I was, read that, but I was like, "Is that true? Is that it like what they used suburban? <laughs> it's like it's like a suburb. Like it was Brazil is not a racist society, believe it or not. There's not a lot of racism in Brazil. Although some people will say that. I, I never saw it that way. 
there's a lot of class um class you, you could be black as long as you're rich you're good hmm. well, there's a uh, lot of that so there's so a like, classification not racism but like classification a little racism. it's not american for example like you can go to a nightclub in the u.s and you're gonna have poor people and rich people in the same nightclub listening to the exact same music pretty much dressing the exact sure same. right in Brazil, they have two kinds of nightclubs. They have Bovon and Playboy. Bovon means big people. That's for the masses, for the poor people. Ah, uh, okay. Playboy means for the playboys, for the rich people. And you know what's funny? Like, I, I grew up as a child, I was in Brazil. I, this was normal to me. I never even crossed my mind how fucked up that was. <laughs> I had some Swedes come over to train with me. They're super politically correct, right? And they came to Brazil. And I had a bit students that were both. I had rich students and poor students. Uh, and my, my, my Swiss students wanted to go out and then, but they wanted to go out to the Povon nightclub where they had played Brazilian music, right? Not like EDM and techno and that shit. They yeah. played Brazilian music. And my, 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 my rich students wanted to think, no, you don't go there. You're, you're from Sweden. You don't, they wanted to think <laughs> the music they listened to in Sweden. They're like, no, we want to go here. And then they're asking me like, why are your students making such a big deal out of this? And I had to explain it. That's when it dawned on me, like, holy shit, like, this is messed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they have nightclubs for poor people and rich. There's a distinction wow. there that is crystal clear for everyone except Brazilians. They don't see it. Wow. Is it still like wow. that today? Oh, yeah. Very oh, wow. Okay. Including the language. They say povão. It means poor. It's just oh, okay. You're poor. Yeah. So they still use that. Okay. Wow. Very it's cool. different. And I mean, if you grew up around it, you're not going to know. It's like, um, you know, trying to, you know, we, we talk about breaking racism and, and, you know, all that stuff here in, in, in the United States. And it starts as a change, a cultural change. So if you don't change it as a culture, you're not going to change it. Like, for example, in the U S you can't uh, try, try to tell them Amer most Americans are like, for example, there's something that is done in Brazil that is better than the American like, or Mexico, like in Mexico, they do things this way and it's better. Try to tell that to an American. They look at you like you're nuts. Impossible. Right, exactly. Yeah. Impossible. We're better at everything. Like, right, we're everything, right. everything. And, and it's so ingrained in the culture. Americans can't conceive of someone, like, for example, uh, the electric system in Brazil, it's much better than the American one. I say it all the time. It's an electronic one. There's no room for fraud. And we know who the president is like an hour after the election's over. It's like, boom. Wow. It's very, it's, it's, it's all, it's all, it's, and we've never, there's no like fraud disputes in Brazil. Like, yeah. We have it's done. yeah. Every election we have that issue here, and it's done after like a few hours. Yeah. And I tell Americans that they look at me like, no, it can't be. They're, they're like, they're a third world country. How could they do anything? You know, and Americans are very insular like that. They're not really open minded in that sense, but it's very ingrained in the culture. It's not anyone's fault here. It's just they are taught that from day one. So Brazilians have these things too. They have these things that, like in Brazil, they'll spend like three, four hundred dollars on a pair of Nikes, and they think that's normal. It's like you, like, that's are you nuts? Like that's not normal. That's not normal. That's your whole month's salary on right, a pair. Right. Brazilians will do it. They're looking at you like, but it's a Nike. It's their Nikes. Like they think that's normal, right? So you, you get used to all these things and you're immersed in it, and you don't you don't realize how absurd they are until sure. exposed to something else. Yeah. Is the thought process like that for jujitsu as well? Just out, out of curiosity, like the difference between like, does obviously everyone's like my jujitsu is better than this school or this and so on and so forth. But it, I just wonder like borders, like I've asked other people like, Hey, people are like, Oh, I've been to Iceland or I've been to Ireland and I've taught here. And I always ask that. I'm like, what's it like there versus here yeah. in America? Um, I mean, here's the thing. it's funny. I wrote an article about this recently. Um, 
it's funny because like when I was writing the book, I, I developed a reputation in Brazil for being anti-Brazilian, and somehow I developed a, a reputation in the U.S. for being anti-American. <laughs> there's, there's no such thing as objectivity in the world, right? God Robert forbid. Drysdale, the man of nowhere. <laughs> and, and actually, interpret information as it is, free of you know, like yeah. But like these these uh, uh, jujitsu today, uh, there's this whole thing about American jujitsu, right? And like it's funny because like I believe jujitsu is Americanized. It is American in a lot of ways. It's just not in the ways that they're saying it is. Like, sure. um, like oh, we, we were, you know, innovating the sport. And I'm like, can anyone point a moment in the history of jiu-jitsu where jiu-jitsu was not under a process of innovation? I mean, you can trace it as far back as Japan, if you will. I don't care where you start. Find me a moment in history where it was not under a process of innovation. It's just that a lot of people here are trying to make that an exclusivity of the Americans. Like, oh, but Americans are like good at heel hooks. And Brazilians were not good at butterfly guard and half guard and close guard and <laughs> and lasso guard and the lahiva guard. You want me to keep going? Right. Like it's just yeah, that. It, I mean, it's an idiotic conversation. The arguments they use to Americanize jiu-jitsu are so mind-boggling. It's like you guys never gave this any thought, have you? But that's what they believe is American jiu-jitsu. It's like some kind of like better version of what Brazilians did. I'm like, you guys, everyone's just continuing. There's a process we're all involved in, regardless of nationality. That's simple enough, right? I mean, if it's higher in the U.S. and Brazil, it's only because there are more competitors in the U.S. and Brazil. It's nothing to do with where you're born. But sure. And that's how I've always looked at it. Even, you know, starting was that I would go, I want to know the origins because I, I want to pay homage to the origins. I want to respect it. What the people have done before me, the, they've laid the groundwork. I love that part of it, just like I would any other martial art, but I never looked at it like, oh, well, this is this, this is theirs. And this is theirs. I always looked at it like we're, this is when I look at it, it's a puzzle. It's an ever evolving puzzle. So it should be this way from the beginning when someone started it, whoever that man is that or woman, whatever it is, you know, no, and, and, and you know, it doesn't matter. But I think honestly, I don't think the people that are making this stand are really serious about it. The internet has become a sensationalist arena. Yeah. So if you say things that are crazy, and it doesn't matter if they're reasonable or not, if it can be fact checked, like these things don't matter. As long as you say something that draws attention to your page, you're going to get more likes. You're going to get people arguing. If people argue, yeah. algorithm through the roof. So it's right. a very conceiving environment. It's a snowball effect of stupidity. That's what I call it. It's like the dumber you are the more people reply to you, the more it comes up on other people's feeds, the more comments you get, the further, it's like a snowball effect of yeah, like, right. and American just like kind of falls in that category, the definition they have. The way America is Americanized is in terms of its culture and they're responsible for it incidentally because the, the, the wave of Brazilians that came here, the first wave, right, the one that I, you know, you can say I'm the second wave maybe, but like the, the, the people that came here to teach and make a living from jiu-jitsu from Brazil the second they get off that plane, they can say whatever they want, right? And I'm part of the problem. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm as much part of the problem as anyone. We were thinking about making I wanted to fight. That was a real reason, right? But we all had our eyes on the dollars, right? Brazilians look at the U.S. as a way of like, oh, it's easier to make money there, which is true. Like, it's much easier to make money in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world, in fact. Sure, right. Um, and, and, and in some ways, it became commercialized in a way. Americans, Brazilians conceded to everything that jiu-jitsu used to be what it was in Brazil, they, the second they got off, got off that plane, they conceded to the American way very quickly. So the culture has become American. It is no longer, and, and, and if you look at it, if Brazilians like indulge in it, because for example, when I, when I was coming up, if you try to befriend a reporter just to get your, your face on a newspaper or in Gracie magazine, if you try to promote yourself in any way after winning a tournament, people would 
and they would shit on you. They would like, bro, what are you doing? Like Carlson, uh, would call okay, it was, it was frowned upon to market yourself and promote yourself was frowned upon to the point where you might get your ass kicked in the gym. They might kick you. Like people hated that. It was not okay. In America, that's completely okay. That's the norm. If you win a title, mm-hmm. you make sure you make some money from that, right? Sure. But the second that happened here, like Brazilians were like, what? I can make, they, they were all in on it. And now in Brazil, because Brazilians tend to copy Americans, right? So they, they, so whatever Americans do here that works, Brazilians are just like 10 years behind. So if you now look at the young generation of Brazilians, they no longer follow that tradition of Brazilians that I started from, which was that Spartan culture I was describing. Sure, now yeah. you win a tournament, man, market, market, market. Boom, yeah. And, and that's a very, it's an American trait. That's not Brazilian. Um, so if you look at how the gyms are run and how the teams are run and how, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, it's, it's very Americanized. Like, like even like team leaders, I'm not going to mention names, but people that are well-known in the community, they straight out recruit members from my gym to go train under them. They are offering them money. This has happened to me on more than one occasion where they're Man. buying competitors. because oh, wow. they're Okay. If you did this in Brazil, like when I, even when I started training, I, I'm going to dojo storm the gym. I'd walk up to that guy and I'm like, I'm a fucker. Let's go at it. Like that, that's how you solve it. Like you're going to, you're going to poach my students. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that was the, the, you know, whereas like a lot of these, they're Brazilian, they're not American. Like they're, they're doing this. You go on your gym and try to recruit students, offering them money. Those are the changes, the commercialization of jiu-jitsu, what I call it, that I think have changed jiu-jitsu in a negative way. Because a lot of these things were not acceptable before, and they're being com- they're, they're completely normal now. Like they're straight up like buying students, you know, mercenaries, and and you turn the sport the, the, the sport into a big prostitution ring because you know if you're selling your soul to the devil, there's no such thing as like loyalty. Everything's about the money, and money is all that matters. Like, no, what are we then? Are we prostitutes now? And yeah, I mean, that's that's what I would. Like mentally, as you're saying it, Robert, that's what I start thinking. Like instantly, like oh wow, I've heard of it happening, but not in depth of like uh, maybe. I I mean, I'm look, I'm a white belt. What do I know? (laughs) I'm a 45 year old guy. (laughs) But when I start diving and reading into this stuff, or listening to people, or obviously on social media, I started wondering. I'm like, wow, like people are buying athletes to come so they could be under their name because everyone's chasing. they're chasing it's like i'm living my dreams through a competitor almost like that's kind of how i look at it as a coach i've coached a lot a lot of sports in my lifetime played basically everything and i look at my kids now that play and i see i don't coach anymore because of my kids and i see other coaches going you know they're on their kids or they have to do this all the time and i'm like wow they're trying to live those dreams so it sounds to me more like um, professors, coaches, what, whatever have you, whatever name everyone wants to go by, um, are doing that more than I thought maybe in, in America. No, absolutely, man. You're, you're absolutely correct. Like, and, and like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like I, I love the fact that I can make a living. I make a comfortable living from jujitsu. I don't have to hustle for students. students sure, right. More. Like it's crazy. Like the, the, the craze for jujitsu is so widespread that I just have my website online and people sign up with me doing no effort whatsoever. That was unthinkable before. Like no one can make a living from jujitsu 20 years ago. Not a decent living at least. You're you are know? right. Yeah. So that's been great. And, and that's because Americans bought into it. it, it and, and Corian was right. Like this was only going to work if it started in Southern California. Because he uh, understood that the world would copy Southern. That's the Rome. That is modern Rome. That's where trends begin. And he got that. Like, that's where Hollywood is. That's where all the cool people are. all the stuff, yeah. And so, and, and, and that was a, he hit the nail on the head there. 
<clears throat> but on the other thing, on the other hand, like we lost some important things along the way. Like there's no more respect. There really, like there's a there's an idea of there's a loss of. For example, I'm not going to mention names, but they're like some very successful competitors in the in the, the jujitsu community that they shit on older people, left, right, and center. The yeah. people who laid the groundwork, that they laid down the bricks on the foundation on which they stand and make a living from, and they shit on them, shit on them from above. And to me, that's like we are going nowhere with this. This is the beginning of the end, right? This is where this is where like this is where the decay begins. It's like there's no more order to anything. There's no more respect. There's no more. Um, uh, there's no more cohesion. It's every man for himself. People don't even agree on what jujitsu is anymore. If you ask okay. me, what is jujitsu? Try to get people to give you the same answer. See if you ask ten of your students to chat tonight. Yeah. What is it? See if you don't get ten different answers. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You don't even know what it is. Like, what are we doing? Like, it's, there's not even clear to us what we're doing. So, to me, that lack of unity, something that judo has to an extreme. This is why they've been around for 140 years. They know exactly who they are. There's a purpose. There's a direction. Oh, so I didn't know. Okay, so that that hasn't changed in in judo. So that's stayed that way. It's been they're loyal to the predecessors who have set that ground, laid that groundwork. There's a framework. There's an architecture that was built by Jigoro Kano Kyoshi, possibly a reflection of Japanese culture too, more than his mind. You know, like Japanese are very structured like that, and yeah. and they created a structure before the growth of the sport. We can't say the same. Jiu-Jitsu grew before it had any structure. It right, was, yeah. was first a boom, and then IBJJF came after the boom, trying to like, you know, pick the pieces together and give yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> they do really. Granted, I disagree with a lot of things about the rules and with how they do things. Like for the most part, they've done a phenomenal job at organizing the sport. They give it credibility because we didn't have that. Now we do, and that's not because of like you know, oh, we got more eyes on the sport now because of mass media and they, you know, like no, that was IBJJF. That was IBJJF number one, Joe Rogan number two. Those are the yeah. two biggest. Yeah, for uh, sure. Columns of jujitsu today, and its credibility is IBJJF gives its credibility, and Joe Rogan doesn't shut up about it. Thank God, right? Because yeah, I, I sign up a student every week because of Joe Rogan. So, yeah, like, yeah. thank you, thank you, Joe. Yeah. Um, but in terms of cohesion, there is none. It's a fad, and that's what worries me. Like jujitsu, it's a, if it continues on this this path of being a fad, it's going to die because there's no direction. Or what are we doing? Where are we going? There's no. Everyone's going the wrong way. It's too individualistic is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not um, the family aspect or maybe cause was that always there? Uh, so I say, I say this a lot, but being an older person, like I found at our gym, cause our, our gym's awesome. I obviously towed our gym all the time, but it's, it's my home. Um, and I'm very loyal to the, the gym there, but it, I found family members that I never thought I would have in my life you know, of, of, of all walks of life from everything, you know what I mean? And people that accepted me for who I am and just, they cared about me. I felt that right away. It was like, wow, I just was going to come here, work out and leave, you know, come and do jujitsu and leave. I never knew this was going to happen. And it happened. Are you, are, are you saying Robert, you think like that's going away? That, part no, no, of it's, that aspect is the only glue keeping jujitsu. They're keeping it together. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like it's the fact that like, I love these people camaraderie. The unity I'm speaking of is for example, when Jigoro Kano created judo, he had a vision for uh, education. That was judo as a means to improving on the human being. And they have a saying that goes Jita Koye, which means like mutual uh, growing mutually, I think is how it translates. Like it's mutual benefit. Okay. Um, and they, they, there's a certain view of uh, of where they were. This is the purpose of judo in the world. Jiu-jitsu doesn't really, it's like the purpose of jiu-jitsu is like, I'm having fun. 
Yeah, yeah, to, okay, okay, I see. You know, like, what, what, what are, okay, in, term, in terms of rule sets, like, we don't agree on anything. No one fucking agrees. <laughs> Self-defense, the, the Gracie family itself started a split about that one. They don't agree yeah. on what they're doing. Half of them wanted to do sport. The other one, half wanted self-defense, you know, and then their, their own version of self-defense is not identical. Like right. more like less, more theoretical. Others are more MMA oriented. Like there's a lot of division in, in jujitsu in that regard. Something didn't exist in judo. And this is why judo was 140 years old. And it never, there was a fad of judo for a moment, but judo survived the, the, the fashion moment. Like it, it stays in the world because there's a cohesion. They identify as judokas under the same unit. In jujitsu, we don't have that. Like it's, I have my friends in the gym, but how your teacher views and, and, and teaches jujitsu is not exactly the same as how the guy across the street does it. And, and that's the lack of unity I'm talking about. I like, see. Okay. No overall vision. I was like, you know, when you start a business, any business consultant is going to tell you, like, what is your why? Yep. You understand? The first thing I'm going to ask yep. you, what's your why? Yep. Like, how are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And I think jujitsu kind of doesn't, our why is like, it's like, oh, I'm going to see my friends in, in, in the gym. And, well, you can see your friends in an NASCAR game too. Like, you can see yeah. your friends sure. basketball, playing basketball. Like, there's a number right. of your family. Jujitsu is not exclusive. There's nothing special about jujitsu. If it's the way to bring people together, there's, it's just, it's, it's just something else. Like I, I, that's where I think we, we, we never, we don't have, at least like back in Brazil, like we're going to kick the world's ass. That was the, it was, you can, you can call it, you know, oh, it's, that's not okay. But they agreed on it. That's what we're training. That's what we are training to beat. But like, that's what we're here for. It's to learn. Yeah. Like we don't have that. Like, oh, we're here to win medals. We're here to self-defense. Are we here to gi, no gi? What rules said about seeing my friends? It's about making money. What is it? Yeah. There's a lot of division in the sport. I see. So there's a lot of branches from one tree that it branched out completely and it's huge now and it's all over. There are different avenues on that, on those paths. I think on its way, because everything that peaks, what, what follows a peak? It's, well, it's a valley. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. going to be a valley for sure. I mean, every yeah, peak has it. I have my doubts. That's what my next book is about. Like I'm, I'm asking these questions because I, I think that we're lacking some direction in terms of like, for example, we completely neglected efficiency over entertainment, which is a bad sign, right? That's what catch, catch wrestling did at first. There's nothing we're doing and judo for that matter, that catch wrestlers didn't do it way before us. Yeah. Catch wrestlers did it before everyone else, before Japanese, before Brazilians, but they needed to make money. So what do they do? They go to pro wrestling. They right. battle Right, because entertainment, make money, entertainment, yeah. money, 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 and as a result, they kind of became banalized, even though they were technically ahead of everyone else. Sure, yeah. right. I think we're kind of going that way, where we're going entertainment, money, entertainment, money. We're looking at these things as metrics for growth, and I'm going, well, why we're going to become? What are we going then? Like, if that's all about entertainment, not about efficiency, as a martial art should be, right? That's right. what brought jujitsu to the 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 to the forefront. To the forefront, of- right. It was Hoist Gracie whooping ass in the UFC. Everyone's yeah. like, holy shit, what is that? Yeah. Right, that's yep. a right, man, this stuff works, right? And we've kind of neglected that too because we're going, oh, this this Birimbolo choke with the lapel, with the 50-50, with the fucking whatever name. Like every week, it's like, there's a K guard, there's an M guard, there's an L guard. <laughs> that's and the like, hardest thing for me is a, a young white belt. <laughs> amount of information and I'm going, how would that work? How does that translate into combat? That's my question. Yeah. And one common thread that unites all martial arts throughout history is the things that stay long-term are the things that work in a fight. That's the com- That's what defines, that is the foundation of martial arts, right? The more you drift towards the margins and away from the center, the less 
real it becomes and the less it loses credibility over well you yeah you lose your credibility you you lose the heart of what it is you lose the heart of it and uh, and that's not you don't want that in in anything especially martial arts because the heart of and that's what's driven every martial art that's ever been in existence and still in existence today but i but what you're i know what you're saying robert like it's we're getting to that point to where that's no longer part of it no one's going back to that the heart of it Except someone like yourself that are that's diving into the history and giving us the the you know interviews and feedback and writing of that. And you know when, where this inspiration comes from is from reading history because it's happened before. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's but, happened in so it's, many it's, times. Yeah, it's, it's it's we're just rewatching. So judo maintained itself as a unit because they had a common purpose in terms of values, right? A view, sure. a worldview that they agreed on. But in technical terms, they went entertainment for the Olympics. They got to sell ticket. Mm-hmm. They lost the martial side. Graces come along and go, what? We're going to pick up from where you guys left off. We're going to insert the martial element into it. We're going to borrow from catch wrestling, borrow from capoeira, borrow from boxing, assimilate whatever judo we know. I'm going to put it together. I'm going to call it Gracie fighting, Gracie jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. They didn't call it that then, but they had a system. And that right there went on to conquer the Valetudo world. And then hoist was that big moment, right? And then it becomes super popular. Now there's a demand what to sell it because it's too popular. So now money comes in. Money comes in and corrupts everything. So we have to water down the product. We have to dilute it. So as a result, what happens? We become what we used to criticize. We became the taekwondos. We're becoming the taekwondo of right. the 80s that you just yeah. shit on, right? We're becoming that. So as a result, like I think we're like history does repeat itself. And, and, and there are a lot of lessons we can learn from all this and on what not to do, right? What we should do is more complicated. But what we should not do, to me, is very clear. We should not banalize jiu-jitsu in the name of entertainment. Like, right. I think that's, that, that's the biggest issue. And then everyone's like, oh, but it's selling tickets. That's all that matters. And like, NASCAR sells tickets too, and so does pro wrestling. Fans yeah. right. switch just like that, man. You don't want those guys because they're fickle. There's money to be made there, but long-term, this is not a foundation. And people are, by nature, fickle, 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. Like, yeah, in today, out tomorrow. That's probably... and. and I could be completely wrong on this, but in jujitsu, you have such a beginning turnover, like white belts come in, they stay for so long and then they're out. And you know what I mean? Like that percentage is very low that people progress because people are fickle and they don't want to do it anymore. And it's hard. Let's be honest. I mean, I've said it before in the show. It's one of the hardest things you ever do in your life. If you're at a good gym and and you're being taught by good people around you and stuff like that, you know what I mean? I'm hard to be able to stand on its own legs without fads, without Joe Rogan. Without sure, the UFC, right. should be able like and and wrestling has done that. How long has wrestling survived without Joe Rogan in the UFC? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been around forever. I mean, it's been an Olympic sport at the top of the echelon. Olympic sport for, geez, I, I've never read the history of it. Actually, now that you bring it up, it's kind of it'd be kind of interesting to dive into to see like when that all started. Oh. I mean, I know it's Roman times, like Roman yeah. Roman wrestling and stuff before it was freestyle. It's one of the first Olympic sports. Yeah, Ever, back, right. Yeah. So, but. It, it, there's, there's, uh, there, but what, 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 but wrestling is so objective and efficient in technical terms. They never like they, they prohibited too many things in my opinion. Had they kept submissions in, it probably would have been better for them. But right. yeah, remain very objective in terms of like wrestlers don't care about fancy. Wrestlers no. care about doesn't work. Jujitsu guys care about fancy more than they care about if it works or not. Yeah, Weird. you know, wrestlers don't give a shit if it's something. Yeah. Like, can you get them down or no? That's yeah. all. That's- one question you want to ask. That's why they're so efficient in MMA because they're down to what works and that's all they give a shit about. 
Yeah. Just, said, what about this boogie choke? Can I do it? I'm five four. <laughs> Not funny, but well, four, it's funny. You know, I weigh 300 pounds, but I want to do the boogie choke and the rubber guard. I'm like, bro, you can't. You know, it's you can't, yeah. <laughs> keep it simple, dude. Like, right. You know. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> it's not. I don't, don't take simple that in personally. Anybody out there? <laughs> simple goes on forever, man. Yeah, simple it does. doesn't break. It doesn't. It's simple. Right hand, left hook, rear naked choke, Kimura, and it's not old school. You can evolve a Kimura. We've seen evolution of Kimura in recent years. Yeah, you right. Evolve, you can evolve the back take. You can evolve these things. They, simple can be evolved. It's just that you have to evolve towards the purpose of reality of combat, not evolve towards fashion. What's cool. right? Because that's yeah. not a what's cool. Topic. What's the cool thing now? Right? Exactly. Like, what's the hot topic? Did uh, um, this is going to be just a question because I don't know. So I'm going to ask you: Did you like your mindset within all the matches that you ever? Where you're like, I'm sticking like to my my moves, my basics. Like, I know this is efficient and it works, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I tried, man. When I started training jujitsu, like jujitsu was a means to learn how to fight. That's what, it was nothing to do with sport and medals. Sure, like, right. right. But like you wanted to learn how to fight. You wanted to be, I wanted to be like Carlson Grace students. I would watch like Murillo Bustamante and those guys. And, and, and finally, I want to be like those guys. That's what I want to do. So my jujitsu had MMA in mind, Balitudo in mind. That's how I thought of it. So yeah, I became a decent guard player. I had a, played a lot of lasso guard. I like I did somewhat of like a, a, a crude version of the Grimbolo back in the day when I was a purple belt, you know, like, but I always had my eyes. I knew that that wouldn't work in a fight. I think that was important. And the more aware of this became, like the more I try to shape my jujitsu towards something that's going to work everywhere. And that's what I teach. And it's hard because you need a lot of resistance because people want to learn the trendy stuff, you know? And, yeah. and it's like, how much do we want to drift from what's practical and objective to be fashionable? That's the question. I try to be in the center. I try to teach it as realistically as possible, but you run a business too. So you have to balance that out with. That's tough. Yeah. yeah 100%. It's, a very, it's a very shitty line to try. I hate it, but I have to, I have to, I got bills to pay. Right. You know? It's your livelihood, you know, yeah. like don't like never sell yourself short on that part because you are who you are and that makes you a great coach and a great person. You know what I mean? Like, so I, it sucks, but we walk these lines sometimes because we have to walk these lines, but you also keep your real perspective inside you. Like, you know, you know where you come from, you know what you represent, whether I don't care what anybody else thinks or says you are true to yourself and true to what you're doing. And you're true to the art, whether it's teaching a, a fancier move or not teaching a fancier move, you know, like yeah. Jack, you look at me and go, yeah, Terry, you're not, we're not going to do that move. You're never doing that move. <laughs> well, I've, you know, you know I mean? I've had that a little bit at the gym with, you know, going through what I'm teaching when I'm teaching it. I don't have a curriculum on paper or anything like that, but I kind of have this thing in my head and certain things we cover more than others, right? So I'm a big proponent of, you know, getting in the pocket, X pass, leg weave, leg dream, that, that kind of stand up passing, right? And some people are like, man, we just did this whole X pass thing not long ago. Why are we doing it again? Because it works. That's you know, like you have to be on your feet to pass, get off your knees, stand up, like, so that kind of thing. So it, but like you said, with everybody seeing the new stuff too, you got to kind of supplement some of that in to kind of keep some people happy. And, you know, it sounds like the thing is like, we, I, I just finished reading, I write an article about this. So it'll be on GTR soon. So I actually been writing for GTR every week. So if you guys haven't checked it out. Oh, nice. Okay. Talking a lot about these things. And one of them is like this idea of old and new. And we got to stop this because that's not a good metric. A good metric is not how old it is. Rear naked choke yeah. is very, so is the Kimura, so is the heel hook. 
just because something is old doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right. right? The question is, does it work or not? That's the only important metric, right? That's what we got to be looking at. How efficient is it? Not if it's cool, not if it's old, not if it's new, not if it's uncool. It's just like, does it work? That's the question we got to be asking every day. And there's a lot of stuff when it comes to competitive jujitsu that is completely inefficient for a fight, but yet it works in competition. Say a 360 wrap of the lapel on your opponent's leg when you're in 50-50. Oh, you can't move. You're screwed. Right? I've been there. Blue belts hold me there for a whole round. I can't move. Yeah. Maybe twice their size and I can't move. They're blue belts. Right? (laughs) Literally. Right? This is where, like, the federation bears some responsibility because if you're allowing that, you're allowing that become normal right and it's yeah. and this is where like it, it comes to respond is the responsibility of the leadership and you just to steer the sport left or right like if this is the job of like where are we guiding the evolution of jiu-jitsu and the evolution of jiu-jitsu right there right now does not have good guidance it is guided towards a rule set that has become inadequate in a lot of ways and it's still there's only things good about it but some things are not some things yeah. should be questioned you know and they're they're not being because they're really old and you know They've been there forever, so they must be good. This is uh, going back to IBJJF and that new rule that they changed where there's no, uh, I'm going to screw this up. Uh, no, what is it? Walkover or walk off or what's it called? Oh, closeouts. Closeouts. Close, no closeouts. Close what's yeah. your opinion on that? I mean, I and, and I ask this to a lot of guys just because those of you have been around for a very long time. Like, is it good for the sport? Is it not good for sport, sport to make them compete? Make two top, you know, you have two guys at Zenith. They're they're both going for a gold medal. You I, know what I mean? Like, yeah, I used to be against it. I think that it's a smaller price to pay if you have them, um, because you know the closeouts. First of all, I mean, for the fans, it's kind of disappointing, right? Yeah, sure. um, it can't create. If if you don't, if you if you're a member of the same team, I think Zenith and Zenith, but they don't train together, always fight. If they train together, a lot of times it can poison the environment. Right. Yeah. I used to say that. That's why I didn't like my students if they trained together to fight because I didn't want to ruin the, the dynamics in the gym. I didn't want to right. carry over that rivalry to the mats. But again, like on second thought, I'm going, if that happened, it's because the dynamics in the gym are not good to begin with. Because if you have good dynamics in the gym, right, and you have good culture, truly good culture, I can go to war with you every day in the gym and then you can beat my ass on the mats in the competition. Yeah. And then it doesn't change how we feel about each other on the mass the next day. That's good culture. Hard to create. It is more. It is much harder to create that sort of culture than it is to say don't fight, which is the easy way out, right? Yeah. So I've changed like one in your goal. You know what? I think people should compete against each other every other week when there's no competition to go to. You should throw in-house tournaments and make your students compete like against each other like every other weekend. Like that's smart to me. Oh, they're gonna hate it. They're gonna fight. But like you know what, man? You're gonna be a better competitor at the end. Sure. You know? We've done that. We've done that for a while at the gym. Like we'll do fight in the night, like, or whatever. And there's two guys, Chad will pick out two guys and like, Hey, you, you're getting after it. And you know, it's, you know, you got five minutes, whatever. If they submit them, it's usually submit only. We don't do points or anything like that, but I've always found it good for us in the gym. Like it's built, it's built stronger relationships that we've cheered on each other. But at the same time, it's like, man, you, you got me good. Like you came at me. Like, it takes maturity though. It takes maturity. Like mm-hmm. it does for yeah. sure. And then like, like how, how responsible can a, can a gym culture or a, or a coach be for someone's maturity? You get students that just don't have them and they're like 40 years old and they're still behaving like children. Like, you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, this was, you should have told me this, you know, but 
it's it's we do our best, man. Like a lot of times, like coaches, we're underpaid, man. Come on, let's be frank. Wait, yes. <laughs> we're like therapists. We're like coaches. We gotta like manage. We're like we're like we're like uh, we gotta do PR for our students, human rights, uh, human resources, right? Like we gotta right. Go. You're jack of all trades within the gym. You really are. I mean, if you think about it, you got like 10 different hats on. Man. Yeah. On the regular too, because they like people reach out to you. Like your students are going to reach out to you at all times, at anything of all different situations. And you don't want to fail them. So you feel an obligation to them because you're, they are your student. Like I know Chad feels this way and I'm sure Robert, you feel this way, right? You wouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> you know? Uh, you became, and, and, and that's just what's something that no student ever gets. You'll only get it when you become a coach. A coach gives a lot more than he gets. There's a lot more yeah. give getting. Sure. You know, uh, in financial terms, it's not the bonanza everyone thinks it is. Uh, everyone knows that, unless you're like you're like owning like three, four, five different schools that are very well managed. It's that is for the most part there's not that much money in it. Um, but you give your weekends away, man. You give yeah. time off the mats. Yeah. Dude, I reply. I, if I check my phone now. There's gonna be twenty messages for me to reply to. Yeah, like it's just so like it's always on top of something. You're on vacation. People, are, your students are calling you and shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like wow. I have like parents that like will send their like their six year old sons like matches on Naga. And like, hey, coach, what did my son do wrong here? And I want to say everything. And like he's six. <laughs> he's six. Six. Like, six. Like, everything right. is wrong. Like you give time, man. Chill. And they'll send me like an eight minute, you know, long video or something. I gotta like sit. I, Dude, I don't get paid to do this. Like, this is insane, but it's very demanding. It is yeah. very demanding. Yeah. I, um, so, you know, I said earlier, you know, about coaching and stuff. And it's funny because my youngest son's playing baseball now and he, he's like, dad, why don't you coach me? Like, well, and I said, no, but I told you, like, I'm not, I'm not coaching anymore. He's like, why don't you want to coach anymore? And he, I go, and Chad has brought this term up before. I'm like, it's a thankless job. It's a great job. But it's a thankless job in the grand scheme of things, except I have such a passion for other people to be better in their life that that's why I love doing it. But I'm stepping back now that I'm older and I'm more mature and I just kind of want to live <laughs> and watch enjoy. I want to enjoy it and not being involved with it. But I tell people all the time, I'm like, it's a, it is a thankless job. Cause he looked at me, he's like, what do you mean thankless? I was like, you're going to put everything into it. You want you, I want you to be successful. I want every one of my players or students or whatever have you to be the most successful they can, no matter what it is, what they're doing, school, life, anything. Yeah. Um, and I don't want, you know, go ahead, Chad. No, I was just saying to be clear, when I said thankless, I was talking about referee. Refereeing. He was talking about refereeing. Yeah. <laughs> I hate refereeing that. Refereeing is even more thankless. I refereeing yeah. is $1,000 a day, not 200 it, Yeah. Brutal. Right. It is brutal, brutal, brutal job. I've, I've refereed more. Yeah. I recommend it to anyone. Don't ever no. do I refed at a local tournament when I was a purple belt, and the guy's like, hey, I'll give you 100 bucks. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Never again. Yeah, you make a lot of enemies and you can't win, basically. You're, no. you're, you're a piece of shit no matter what when you're a referee. Yeah. No, no matter, matter what, what happens. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I umpired so. for like 10 years. So yeah. <laughs> I just, I said something to the umpire the other day at my son's baseball game. They always say, Hey, how you doing? I always tell them they do a good job, whether they don't do a good job, because I know it's awful. Like it's, it's you got people screaming at you and everything, and it's kind of funny. And he was like, He's a young kid. And I was like, Hey man, just keep doing what you're doing. And you know, you'll learn as you're going, if you like it, enjoy it and ignore the noise because you're always going to have it. I don't care what you do. And you guys know this. Yeah. <laughs> so. so Robert, I have a question. So a little bit of history on the team, Brasa and everything. Were you part of TT before, or was that already gone? 
I was one of the founders of TT. Were you one part of the T? Okay. I couldn't remember. I was, I was one of the, (laughs) when TT started, (coughs) this is how it started. When, uh, when, uh, um, Damien, Leo Vieira and Terere and Telly's left Alliance, right? Because Fabio Gugel wouldn't let them compete for money because they're trying to boycott the other federation. That mm-hmm. was, they started training on their own. They were still Alliance, but they started training on their own. I had just won the world as a purple belt. I had just been promoted to brown belt. And I was like looking to move to Sao Paulo or like train Sao Paulo with those guys. I became friends with Damien after that. And then uh, he invited me over and I used to go to this Taekwondo gym. Mm-hmm. And we went, I, was, I went there a few times to train with those guys. And then... Um, I ended up going to Fabio Grugel's school once because it was all Alliance. I went. To, I trained at once at Fabio Grugel's school and very good training too. I just like Leo better. I remember Leo showed up with like a Taekwondo a yellow belt because he forgot his black belt. So he had a Taekwondo <laughs> yellow belt that went down with his knees and he beat the living shit out of everyone that day. <laughs> oh, man, this guy's good. I've never had my guard because I, I could give, I was a brown belt at the time. I could give Damien and get it a hard time passing my guard then, you know. But we just walked through it like it wasn't there. It's like, man, I've never had my guard pass so fast. This is bullshit. <laughs> and then I just liked their vibe, and they were cool people. So we used to train at a Taekwondo gym at first, like yellow mats. That's where I met Marilo Santana. Um, used to train with train with us for a minute there, too. Uh, yeah, some really good training those days. But then, like, Tidede uh, wanted to uh, – they were calling it Master at the time. And Tidede was still Master Team. When they left the lines, it became Master. But he had a gym called TT. The thing is, TT had all the good competitors. Like, Moscow was, like, very few students in Rio. Like, there are not many affiliates at the time. It was pretty much T- – we were – the core of Master Gym was TT. When we started TT, it was me, Tell. I mean, Tilly and Telly's were the owners, of course. I was one of the hmm. students. When I say me, I'm, like, a student. Yeah. I'm one of the owners. Uh, Sharpe, Andre, I brought Andre Galvon over. I brought him over. He, did, he didn't know who Tilly was. I mean, he knew it was, but they didn't know each other. I remember yeah. bringing him to the gym. Uh, and then Lucas Lecce was a student under Leo, but he started training with us too. And then a bunch of other people started following and did it. started losing his marbles, you know, like no offense. I love no. Like that's what happened, you know? And yeah. Um, and I, that, I was the first one to leave when he started like going ape shit. Like, like I could see the signs were all there. I'm like, this is not going to work. So I said, set him down. I said, did it down? I remember Andre was there too that day. I'm like, hey, I'm leaving. And this is why. Nothing personal. You're a great coach. coach today is hands down the best coach I've ever had in terms yeah. of training, pure training, not talking off the mats. Yeah. In leadership, yeah. talking like hard training and absolutely great, man. Like he was a phenom as a fighter and as a coach, very charismatic, but it was, he was a very hard guy to deal with in a lot of ways, you know, like yeah. had two sides to him. And I, I, I liked, it was one side that I liked a lot. The other one I did it. And, um, and I left now I was training with Leo and then, Shortly after I started training with Leo, that's when today they had that incident on the airplane. It was like 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 a month after. It was like, okay, it was like right. Like I knew something was about to happen. <laughs> yeah. Something was boiling. That's all it. Sense it. Like it's like that Spider Man. He gets that Spider. Sure, a little tingle. <laughs> it is from behind. Like a building is gonna collapse in my head or something. Like that's not how I felt. Man. Like, yeah. Like, and when when Leo was there, and Lucas left right after me. So it was me, Leo, and Lucas, the three of us. And sometimes Leandro, Leo's brother, would come over. But it was when it started, when Braza started, it was Leo teaching me and Lucas on the mats and no one else. It was the th- I remember. It was just the Man. three. Wow. And then from there, it just grew because when TT fell apart, they all came over to Braza. Right. It tripled in size overnight, you know. But that was, yeah, that was it. Those are good days, man. Like, that was. It's just, yeah. For the people that don't know, weren't, you know, I started jujitsu in 04. 
Um, so those teams that came from there, you know, Brasa to Checkmat to AOJ to Atos, man, so many teams formed off of one team, you know, I mean. And you know what the problem was? And I'll say this to their fans. I love these guys. I have a good relationship with every single one of them. Mm-hmm. I, and I've said this to them before. It's just too many chiefs, not enough. No, yeah. Yeah. Too many bosses, but no, it's like, here's a problem with you have too many people in charge. Yeah. No one was responsible for anything. Yep. Right. A hundred percent. We're all leaders, all three of us who like, who takes response. He said that there's no delegate. And unless it's very clearly defined. Yeah. Yep. Who knows what, right. Yep. Not only that, we experienced a moment of boom in jujitsu in the United States in those years too. So it was starting to really pick up over here. People start yeah. more for seminars, just throw money in the equation. Like when I started teaching seminars, there were people that were upset because I had just gotten my black belt. Why are you teaching seminars? Well, <laughs> in English, they want me over. Why are you surprised? I don't need a visa. Like, so I was getting invited all the time to do seminars all over the place. And that started upsetting some of the old, like some of the older guys, because they were like, they saw me as a threat. Gotcha. I'm not going to one of the bus, but like some people are like even like boycotting this shit. Because I see, yeah. I, like, I, they didn't feel that there was a big pie, that everyone they, was just getting know, a nice slice. And, you know, I was skipping the hierarchy. Yeah. I was jumping. All, and I get what they were saying, but like it became, it became money hungry in a way that it wasn't. You understand? Sure. Yeah. Like all of a sudden we're fighting over. Like, we used to not fight over this just two years ago. What happened? <laughs> Something changed. Something changed. And then like, man, like the more I think about this, man, the more I think that judo, judo did it best in terms of culture, like structure, organization. That's what's missing in jiu-jitsu. Man. That's why these teams fall apart all the time. You think jiu-jitsu yeah. would ever be able to have that now? If it's branched out as far as it have, is there any, <laughs> is there any way to reel it in? Dude, like would, it, the split starts with the Gracie family, man. It predates us. It starts way right. back before uh, before any of us were it, to be where we are now. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're 100 right. It start it started there. Even being young in the jujitsu and seeing what I see and read what I read or get to talk to people, I have a hard time believing that it would ever be able to be reeled back in now. Because of as a money, whole, yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Right. I, I, I was just gonna say, as a whole, jujitsu will survive, and but I think it's gonna sure. be in shapes, and the division. It's too late to recon- reconcile because they have too many kahunas who don't want to reconcile. If people yeah. have unity in terms of vision, like submission only wouldn't exist, for example, right? Yeah. Like right. people have been hustling to create a universe of their own for like a decade, yeah. on hustling hustling make it happen make and eventually that, that dude that's exactly what the gracie family did to the japanese they couldn't win in judo they couldn't win they just they, whenever they compete against the japanese they got mauled like when yasuichi on fought healer he got thrown 36 times in one match wow. 36 down in one Jeez. match 27 wow. in the second like there was not it was not a close fight man it was a draw because there were no points convenient yeah you understand but like yeah because they wanted to be bosses they wanted to be alphas but if we can't win what do we do or well, create Change something or create something yeah 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 it's, wow. it's, it might be too late man it might be too late um i i wish that the the, the leadership in jiu-jitsu had been better organized from the get-go but like the boom outdid the structure that's what it came down to yeah. ah yeah no that's a great way to put it the boom yeah it did yeah for sure because Chad, you've said before, and and I've always asked, like you would never imagine that at your time that jujitsu would be what it is today. 
Um, yeah, not jujitsu. I thought I had a feeling. I remember this talk that one of my first coach was a blue belt back in the day, and we were sitting on the bleachers at East Coast, and we had a feeling like MMA was going to get big, right? Like you could see that, but to to see jujitsu, and I, I mean, I was like really new, so I didn't know a whole lot of the history or what even to look for. You know, I didn't even know how you earned a rank yet. You know, so it was um, you know, I remember like. You know, the question everyone asked, like, when is MMA going to take over boxing, right? Like, everyone yeah. knew it because it was better than boxing. Yeah. yeah. I think that we knew jujitsu was going to grow in the coattails of, of, of MMA, and it did. I just, I don't think anyone expected it to be this big. Like, they just they have a new gym opening every week, it seems like. Every week there's a new gym. Okay, right. like, yeah. I don't know most of these people. Who the fuck is that guy? Like, probably. <laughs> <laughs> market, because he's got to sign a contract for a lease. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. On like a two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar lease, personal guarantee. Whoa, shit, man! This guy has—he's got cojones, man, because he doesn't have a name. I respect. Yeah. Holy shit, yeah. man! I believe in himself, you know. Yeah. It's grown like it's—it's it's gotten a bit huge, man. But I think in, in some ways, it's it. Um, it, I wish it had grown slower, because I think we would have had more time to structure it. Like, it's, yeah, it's too. There's too much money going around, and draw, and that draws too many hawks. You had too yeah. much. Like yeah. they, you get all the wrong people like coming in, and yeah. fight, you know, and then the right people don't get a chance because like they're overwhelmed by the money hungry ones. And and money right. talks. And money money talks. Oh, absolutely, we're gonna, for sure. Yeah, we're going to see that. At, the, at you imagine the money that's going to be generated from ADCC this year. I mean, for a jujitsu event. Yeah, I mean, for the nuts. first time, they might actually, you know, be able to fund the event itself. But ADCC's got a bigger problem in hand. Yeah. They they they're in a building that grew from the ceiling to the the foundation. They don't have a, they have a ceiling. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah. they have prestige that comes from the fact that they. I mean, everyone talks. Oh, they're drawing all these eyes to the sport. I'm like, they're borrowing from the foundation. First of all, they borrowed IBGF's rule set, almost almost identical. Right. Uh, uh, the the other thing is like all the competitors from ADCC. Are, where 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 do they get their experience from? Sure. Like, GJF. They're all yeah. They're all coming from that. Yeah. Yeah. 90% of them, if you look at their champions, almost all of them came from the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition circuit. Almost yeah, absolutely. Very few exceptions. Uh, but they, the thing is, like, if they if they maintain themselves, this boutique kind of once every two years kind of event, I think they'll survive with greater success than they will if they try to become a league like IBJJF. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Credibility, because between me and you, those rules are very, very flawed. Everyone knows yeah. this. If there's, they don't have clear criteria and they don't like to hear criticism either, but it's true. Any, anyone like watched last ADCC, it was a huge success. It might have been from a sales ticket perspective, from a technical perspective, like IBJJF has been raising the bar every year. So they're just building off of that momentum. It's not really theirs, it's someone else's. Right. But in terms of refereeing and organization, it was not, a, it, was, it was pretty, it's probably the worst I've ever seen. Like people are wrestling on concrete for like a sequence of a whole minute. I'm like, is anyone going to stop this? Stop the match, yeah. Like they're, they're professional athletes wrestling off. Can you imagine that in basketball? Like a game going on in the stands? Like Into the stands. Right. And yeah. it's, it's insane. That's right? uh, that's awesome that you brought that up. So I just watched a video. Um, it was like uh, they called it, um, I think Flo put it up or someone did about old uh, old lost footage or something. And it was a uh, Tackett. William Tackett was in a match and and he would, they were off the thing though. And the ref, like they were off the mat completely, like on hard ground, like going at it and the ref was like back up like to everybody and let him go and i was like 
wow, they're not stopping this. Like, why, why is this not stopping? <laughs> it's, it's pretty unprofessional. I mean, I'm not trying to shit on your organizations that do this. It's like, I, I, it's, it's, look, it's not an easy sport to refer or organize. We all know this, but like, you know, it's, if you're going to be a league, the size of the size of IBJJF, if that's what you're trying to do. I mean, look at how IBJF holds itself in terms of professional professionalism. Yeah, they could pay more athletes. They could do more things. Sure, we can argue all these things. But from a logistical perspective, these guys put on three tournaments in a single weekend all over the world. You know, they put on an event with 7,000 people here in Las Vegas. This year's probably going to be more, eight, 9,000 in right. one week. They have, like, that is, a, I mean, compare that ACC has like 100 competitors every two years and yeah. they barely organize it with all that money. You know, so it's like in terms of structure, man, they're like two decades behind the IBJF. Like, oh, can they fix that? Like, well, that's a different question. But I think that until they fix it, they're going to lose so much credibility. I, if if I were them, I would remain the league every two years, just like they are. Yeah. hundred athletes, easy. Yeah. Got two years to organize one event. Yeah, you, know, you can build the hype. You know, build a hype. People get excited. It has credibility. But if you're going to start throwing tournaments every weekend, you got to have your shit together. And the truth is they don't. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said that on past shows, like we've talked about, you know, ADC is getting all the spotlight because they're, you know, flows pumping them, all that. But what does every black belt want to win an IBJJF world championship? That hasn't changed. Right. Yeah, and, and they will lose credibility because IBJF, IBF is a, it's not going to go like hundred years from it certainly exists. If right. Popular is because the, the foundation is too yeah. wrong. They yep. grew like, like it's like the UFC. The UFC is never going anywhere. You know why? Because they grew organically from the bottom up. From the right. foundation. Yeah. ADCC grew from the ceiling while it's trying to build a foundation without yeah. collapsing the ceiling. That's an awesome way to put that. I've never even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a great. When you see businesses fail, yeah. when you start diving into it, not always, but sometimes or a lot of times they start at the ceiling and they didn't build their floor. You ever watch Recrashed, the story of WeWork? Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. I've never watched it, but I know what you're talking about. It's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's it, yeah. people creating hype with no found. It's like, it's like, it's like the Tesla stock. If you got any, any stock, <laughs> first, I'm going to tell you like that stock ain't real, man. That's because like the Tesla's not that big of a company. So it's, it's like, it really is. It's, it, they, they did much smaller than Toyota, but their stock is worth so much more than this company itself. Right. Uh, it's weird like that. The world works like that in some ways, but there's always like, that's what bubbles are, right? Like you have yeah. like, too, too big of a ceiling for the foundation, you know, and, and, and then at some point it doesn't hold. Um, I think that these guys, uh, um, like they, 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 the ADCC, you know, Jean-Jacques Machado told me mm. that, and I agreed with him, said they made a mistake the day they left uh, Abu Dhabi. Mm, yeah. Uh, okay. From there, I'm like, I agreed, you know, because that's exactly what made it special. That's where the credibility comes from. That was a tournament for Kings. Now it's like, it's lurking, like every event looks more and more like the local local event it looks like a local like yeah yeah like, i get that like, yeah. Ever, it's like it's, it's like a high it's like a improved technically in every way like it's, it's like whereas like before it was a tournament for kings you know oh, and I, yeah. I i did not know was, that wow okay it was a prestige thing yeah oh wow absolutely okay. that's I, how i remember that... getting yeah i remember getting my hands on those first few you know early adcc tapes it was awesome you know it was yeah. a it was special. really yeah spe- yeah very special it's, it's kind of lost a lot of that and um and, and I see what they're trying to do, right? I, I just think they're, and I, and I agree that there's a way to do what they're trying to do. I think they're going about it the wrong way because hype is, is, is a very fickle thing. It is not, hype comes and goes. 
Oh, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hourly. <laughs> foundation you want is the one like, like judo. Like judo doesn't need hype. It's, it's around with or without hype. It's not yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's 100 yeah. years old. It's not going anywhere. Like the, the kind of strategy, this sensational strategy that they're going for is it's very short-lived. It has a short life to it. Um, and it's not, and it's, and it, it might mean, it may be in a professional form, like boxing or survive, for example, like boxing is not for the masses, but it has a very, you know, established prestige in the professional arena, but then it's not for everyone. You know, it's going to be something like professional boxing. How many people fight boxing professionally? You know, it's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's not near like eighties, eighties had a huge boom of boxing. You know what I mean? But like not anywhere like that. They all, they all fight. MMA now, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. So, yeah, which is good, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I'm not trying to shit on anyone, but like I just speak my mind, and like I, I think that these things, I, I, I would like ADCC to survive and improve. I would like mm -hmm. I have to survive and improve. I, I love jujitsu to grow. Like I want the same things these guys want. It's just that I have a different way. I, I look at it from a long term perspective. I don't think these guys do. I think these guys think four years ahead, maybe ten yeah. years. Ahead. I think if you're in a position of leadership, you better be thinking 50 to 100 years ahead. Yeah, you want to look at the bright, I, mean, I say bright, I meant broad. You want to look at the broader picture, the giant picture of what you're trying to do. What is my accomplishment? The why. I mean, you really come back to the why. It comes down to. And if the why is money, so shit, you can make more money doing stocks. You can make more money somewhere else. Doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. You can make more money doing something else. That's why money is not a good why unless you're in business and that's all you're about, man. It's different. Yeah. Money is not a good north. Yeah, because you're not yeah. majority of those in jujitsu. What the percentage has got to be super low. Is they're never making that kind of money. Like you said earlier, Robert. Like you're not um, you're not opening a gym or you're not doing this. And and Chad alluded to like the goal is to get that world championship so you can kind of project your, you know, career or whatever you're going to do. You know, that's crazy. Uh, it's good stuff, man. Well, <laughs> we've kept you solid more than an hour. It's been great. It's been awesome. It's such an honor for us. Why don't you do this for us, Robert? I know a lot of people know how to get at you, but shout out anything you want. Uh, I know you, you're working on the new book. You got the old book, anything you want to shout out. We always put it in the show notes for the show, uh, or you can say it's good. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> come by. Uh, I have an open door policy, which means everyone's welcome to come and go. My gym. So come by, stop by, train with us. Uh, I'm normally at the gym. I choose a 6.30 p.m. class. Um, I've been working full-time on a new book. I'm like working like six, seven hours a day on it. I want to release it fairly soon. It's a sequel to Open and Close Guard. It is tentatively called The Rise and Fall of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where I talk about all this, and I, I give some more structure to the argument and like try to further it. And like, this is what we should be doing, and this is why the route we're going is going to fail, because it has failed in the past repeatedly. We should learn from the past and not repeat those mistakes. You know, but Exactly, yeah. Oh, um, so I'm putting a lot of time and energy into this. I got a bunch of articles on GTR, which will be may or may not be used in the book, but it's largely loosely what I'm trying to say. So if you haven't checked them out, do. Um, what else? I mean, I'm not very active on social media, but sure. Um, at Robert Drysdale JJ on Instagram. It's the only one. If you're going to write me, DM me. Only and so I, I can't do all the others too much. <laughs> a part time job. I'm already averaging like two, three hours a day on my phone, man. That's <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait to find an assistant that can just like, all right, don't just, I want to get like one of those flip phones, you know, like that. I can't even text. Yeah. <laughs> People have my number. I want to be like those guys, you know, I think Dana White does that. That's what yeah. I want. Probably. It's not probably smart. It's actually really smart. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
little time consuming, man. It gets you nowhere. It's a waste of for time. For sure. You know? So, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you're in Vegas, stop by. And, um, yeah. Got it. Cool. Awesome. You ever get to, uh, Robert, you ever, I know you have an affiliate in Ohio up in Cleveland. If you ever get up that way, let me know. Dude, I will. Actually, um, I was there maybe a year or so ago, maybe two years ago. You know what? I think you were there the day we had a seminar. Okay. So I don't remember who we had, but it would just worked out. It was the same. You know, I had either my instructor in or somebody. It was the same day. But absolutely, man, absolutely. I will. Um, yeah, shoot me your number. Uh, uh, yeah. And then I'll, kill, I'll save you on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, I try to hit like every affiliate about once a year, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely know. Let you know yeah, yeah, we're only about an hour ish south of Cleveland, so awesome. Not too bad. Not too bad. If you like cool. football, you can come to the the Hall of Fame heart. Yeah, football. that's our backyard. <laughs> that's our- I would go. Honestly, I genuinely believe I've never seen a football game in my life. Yeah. Wow, really? No kidding. I don't even know the rules. I, I know it's <laughs> about it. I don't it's know the rules anymore either, and I played most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not against it. I just, I, I just, I get anxiety from watching sports because I'm like, yeah. I, I want to play. Like, I get it. Maybe not anymore. I'm getting lazy. These days, but <laughs> soccer games, I'd be like, hey. yeah. <laughs> get in there. I actually quit watching sports because of this reason. <laughs> because I would be, my wife would always be like, you're this in, aren't you? And I'm like, the, yeah. I'm like, I got to stop this. I got rid of ESPN on cable and everything. Like, my kids don't even watch sports. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was too involved. <laughs> that was too much. So, well, thanks, cool. Robert, so much, man. It's such an honor to sit and talk with you, hang out with you. Appreciate it very much. And you know, God bless you and everything that you're doing. Keep it up. Don't change you, man. Don't change who you are and what you're doing. Appreciate the history and the stuff that you're doing. And look forward to that new book that's coming out. You know, I think it's important that we know, as you said earlier, you know, we got to know the roots. We got to know what's going on. At least I implore everybody out there who's listening right now: take the time. To, to read, to think outside of what other people are trying to think for you. So I tell people that don't read, it's like put it next to the toilet, commit to one page per shit, put your phone away. That's go. And you'll, it's a good habit. That's it. Yeah. That's what I told them. You know, like start with that. You know? Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's great. Like those plans are plans that work. Cause then you could be, make it a habit. You know what I mean? Next thing you know, you're reading four or five pages a day. And then next thing you know, you're reading a book a week or something crazy. So it's like, hey, yeah. And knowledge is power based off writing. In my opinion, you can learn more from reading a book and studying than you can almost reading anything else. Exercising for the brain. We exercise the body all mm-hmm. day. Exercise the mind. Yep. Yeah. For sure. So cool. All right, my friend. Take it easy. We'll see you. All right. Thanks, Thank brother. You, brother. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Thank you. Thank you. For sure. Later.